Hey, everybody. It is Dylan here. And as we are entering into the spooky season, uh, I'm here to tell you a bit of a spooky story. And joining me to tell this story is Johanna Mayer. Hi, Johanna. Hello, Dylan. It's a spooky story, but it's also kind of a sad story. It is. And an eerie story. And well, a creepy, it's a creepy story, story. Yes. I would say. Well, well, with that, let's begin. Deep in the canals outside of Mexico City, you'll find an island. And no one lives on this island, but it still draws a certain kind of person to it. You have to take a gondola to get there. And that's only if a gondolier will actually agree to take you. Because some flat out refuse to go to the island. And... If you do get someone to take you, as you paddle through these canals, all is quiet and still between these green grass banks and the waters. And when you reach this island, when you step onto shore, what you'll see are hundreds of glassy, vacant eyes staring right back at you. The island is called the Isla de las Muñecas, or the Island of the Dolls. And that is because... It is covered in them. Dolls hang from the trees in groups. They're strung up along fences. They sway in the wind. Some of the faces are ancient and chipping away. Some don't even have faces. One doll's pupils have worn entirely off, leaving only the whites of its eyes to stare at you. Hundreds of decomposing dolls are the only residents of this island. But there was a man who used to live there. His name was Don Julian Santana Barrera. And legend has it, the dolls belonged to him. The story goes that one day, Don Julian found a little girl drowned in the canal. And shortly after, floating in the same spot, he found the girl's toy doll. They say Don Julian began to fish doll after doll out of the canals and the trash. Some say it was to honor the drowned girl, and others say it was to ward off her unsettled spirit. The story ends as eerily as it began. When Don Julian died, it was in the very same place where he found that drowned girl and her doll. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange and wondrous places. And today, we're visiting the Island of the Dolls. And we're going to talk to a fierce sociologist about why on earth anyone actually wants to visit (laughs) such a nightmarish place like this at all. That's after this. Last time I took a road trip. How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains 
inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself. You might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Helping guide us to this place today is Johanna Mayer, uh, host of the podcast Science Diction. Uh, hi, Johanna. I'm I'm excited to. Well, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about where we're going today. Uh, but but how are you doing? I'm good. And I genuinely don't know, Dylan. How do you feel about scary, creepy places? Like, are you drawn to these places, or are you like, hell no, keep me away from here at all costs? No surprise. I'm like definitely drawn to these places. I kind of love them. <laughs> I have to say, I am. Zero percent surprised yeah. at that. <laughs> yeah. How about wait, how about you? I also love Yes. Them. <laughs> so why why are we drawn to places like this? Why would someone, you know, pay fifty bucks to get locked inside a haunted house or chased by zombies? <laughs> why do people travel to a place like the island of the dolls? Part of me wonders if deep inside of us is some like yearning to escape the doldrum of like our cushy 21st century life. Yeah. But that's just my personal <laughs> theory. So I talked to a sociologist about this. Her name is Margie Kerr, and she's known as a scare specialist. Mm. In addition to doing research, she does consulting for these haunted house attractions. She studies why people were enjoying themselves, gives recommendations for how to up the scare factor, stuff like that. And she said that there's a ton of stuff happening in your brain when you scare yourself. Yeah. Endorphins, adrenaline, feeling bonded to the people you're there with. But she also said there's this other benefit that's kind of tough to find these days. It forces you to be really grounded in your body in the present moment. You know, you're not thinking about what you have to do tomorrow. You're not thinking about bills, work, any of that. All of that disappears and you're, you know, fully grounded in the moment. And there's something about that that people really like and enjoy and it feels good. Um, and in terms of looking at the brain reactivity, it's very similar to what we see in um, instances like the runner's high. You're never in more in the moment than when you're running for your life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I totally relate to that. It does. It You are suddenly very attentive when you are in a place that you are uncomfortable or scared around. And then that, you certainly, okay, like in a haunted house, people jump out at you and, you know, you mm-hmm. get that jump scare. But the, the Island of the Dolls is a little bit different than that because it's it's not about that extreme environment so much as it is just like extremely creepy. Why are people drawn to that kind of eerie feeling? Creepiness is very different than scariness. And it's also been studied a lot less than fear. But researchers think what it comes down to is uncertainty. Because when you're being chased by a zombie with a chainsaw, you know exactly what is happening and exactly what you should do, which is run away. But if you pull up to the Isla de las Muñecas and Suddenly, you're just surrounded by a bunch of dirty dolls hanging from trees. It's a little murkier. Yeah. 
Mark, you told me that a sort of precursor to haunted house attractions would be like freak shows and oddities exhibits. P.T. Barnum ran a really famous one, and it would have just kind of unsettling stuff like like a fishtail stuck under a taxidermied monkey torso. And people would line up for this stuff. They would egg each other on, try to dare each other to get closer and investigate. I think the similar reason why we go to places that we think are haunted, which are typically places where there's a lot of history of tragedy, prisons or, um, you know, old nursing homes or orphanages, uh, all of these experiences that are unimaginable. So we see a, a tragic doll hanging from a tree and we do feel, we feel, you know, a, a small sense of tragedy that, that something has happened. And um, the way to reduce that paradoxically is to go closer to it, um, to feel a sense of control over it. One of the things that's interesting about the island of the dolls is like, what is it about dolls in this case that are so unnerving? I mean, obviously they show up in haunted houses. There's a lot of spooky movies about dolls, but like, how did they become part of the canon of creepiness? Okay, so I need to tell you my all-time favorite story about creepy dolls, which I think... Please do. Go on. (laughs) Are you enticed? I am ready, yeah. Um, Okay, so a few years ago in California, porcelain dolls just started showing up on random people's porches. Mm. And the thing that made it particularly creepy was that these dolls sort of resembled... The children oh, no. that were this living is upsetting. in the house. <laughs> this is deeply upsetting right out of the gate. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So so the n- this made like a huge splash in the news because people are like, oh my God, is this a serial killer? Like, is something really bad gonna happen? And then it turns out that it was just this old woman who attended church with all the families in these houses and she thought that she was just leaving them like a sweet cute little gift and she heard about all of this news coverage and she was like deeply deeply embarrassed oh no oh that's sad that story just really shows how much of a cultural feedback loop we have with creepy dolls like we're supposed to see them as scary so of course we see them as scary but it also kind of gets at the uncanny valley Right. The idea that creepiness comes from realisticness and blurred lines between human and not human. And dolls got a lot creepier in the early 1900s when manufacturers started doing things like adding eyes that close when they lie down. The blinky eyes is like a real questionable move in in doll innovation. And Margie said that when things get really creepy is when our expectations don't match our reality. This is a doll and it's violating everything that we expect a baby to be doing. So for the island of the dolls, you know, the babies are are dirty. They look like they are very much in danger. Um, And it's that juxtaposition between what we expect of of a doll and what we're seeing. So we expect joy and innocence and vulnerability, but what we're seeing is something that is scary, something that might hurt us. So all of that tension and dissonance is what can generate that sense of just unease and, and, and creepiness. It's interesting to me because people have really different reactions to different things. I, I'm not actually particularly afraid of dolls. I have friends who like, if they saw a doll 
a block away will like turn around and go the other way. <laughs> Why am I like running towards some creepy doll in an alleyway while like my friend is running the other way? Well, the research says that it's really not so much about personal choice. Hmm. You know, your friend is not like choosing to be afraid of dolls. Um because people have different chemical responses to fear in their brains. Um, so one thing that happens is you get a big kick of dopamine from being scared. And some people just react more strongly to that dopamine and crave it and, and want that kick more than others. But a ton of it also has to do with how you were exposed to fear at a young age. Like whether your first time feeling afraid was on Halloween with like, goofy monsters and candy and costumes? Or were you actually having legitimate traumatic experiences as a child? Uh, I'm curious, is there anything... Like, is there anything beneficial about scaring yourself? I mean, it's it's fun. I, like, really enjoy it. But, like, is there anything valuable about it? Yes. That is actually what Margie is working on these days. Hmm. Um, It's kind of like fear therapy. So it's kind of like exposure therapy, but adding some of these like fun, thrill-seeking, self-scaring elements hmm. because you kind of get a kick of confidence after you make it through yeah. a haunted house. You know, you're like, yes, I survived. I outran the zombie. Totally. And some researchers think that that kind of manufactured fear can actually help you face real fears in your real life. When you make fear safe, it does allow you to lean into it and to um, face that you've you've confronted the fear, the, that physiological reaction. You can keep going uh, and essentially practice being afraid. So basically, we're you know we've just confronted a horde of zombies, so we can face our coworker tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, the the island of the dolls is is pretty creepy visually, mm -hmm. but then there's this story, this myth behind it that makes it sort of sad and sorrowful mm -hmm. and eerie. Mm -hmm. But is any, do we know if any of that is true? How much of this do we know is actually real? So it seems like Don Julian was a real person who okay. did live on the island and he did collect some dolls and have a fascination with dolls. But the thing about the girl being drowned in the canal... The thing about him finding her doll, um, that's kind of where legend takes over. Got it. I, I mean, the thing, the thing that it, it makes me feel like is it really speaks to the fact that we actually want to tell ourselves the spookiest version of these stories. <laughs> Just like sort of leaning into that sense of being scared. I think that's how you end up with these, these elaborate spooky legends. Yeah, I mean, it would completely change my perception of the island if, it, if I learned that like, Oh, a, a company that manufactures creepy stuff yeah. off the island and decided <laughs> to make it into a tourist Wait, destination. Totally, totally. You know, I, I think it speaks a lot to um, just kind of the importance of storytelling and narrative in our culture in general. It does call to you to tell yourself the creepiest possible version <laughs> of the story it of the island. It sets you up for it. It really it does. It really it, does. Sure. Well, Johanna, thank you so much for taking me to this truly, truly terrifying place. <laughs> oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you. If you, like Johanna and I, are one of these <laughs> perverse people who gets a kick out of being scared or at least creeped out and you actually want to visit the Island of the Dolls, you can. 
It takes a couple of hours to get there, and it's best to begin your journey at Embarcadero Cuemanco in Xochimilco, uh, which is about 17 miles outside of Mexico City. Uh, from there, you can hire a gondola, or try at least, to row you through the canals to get to the island. And you will definitely know you're there when you start to see clumps of creepy dolls uh, hanging and swaying in the wind. This episode was produced by Johanna Mayer. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. And I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you soon. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 